the sound of praise for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was the son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Potasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Reb and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And good morning, I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, there's a, an alarm throughout New York. There's a shortage of cream cheese. I don't know if you're reading about this. For some reason, <laughs> right there, you have? And like, you can't use the word schmear anymore because you can't get the cream cheese. Uh, I suspect this is some anti-Semitic plot because we cannot have a bagel. We Jews cannot have a bagel without cream cheese. Um, so hey. we gotta, we got to figure this one out quickly. You know, it's funny, uh, and, and, and cultures, and what each culture brings to the table to make American culture. Uh, when I was working, I was a banker for 10 years, and when I was working there, I will tell you, every morning, it was an everything bagel <laughs> with a schmear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The schmear, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah schmear and a became, coffee. That was you know, it. and look, the word mensch has now become part of the vernacular. Meshuggah, uh, you know, crazy. We, I mean, we, we learn from one another. And, uh, like, I learned... I think uh, Christians use this more than Jews, collation. Services will be followed, followed by a collation, which I've come yeah. to learn means the following. <laughs> Eat at home before you come, because there's not going to be a whole lot of food there. <laughs> it's one thing to say refreshments, but collation means minimal food will be served. Yeah. Cookies and juice. Yeah. That's it. Cookies and Kool-Aid. <laughs> All right. So this has been an interesting week, of course, with Christmas and Hanukkah and uh, much to discuss about uh, holidays where we bring light to one another. Uh, and you saw what happened, uh, what they call Fox Square, uh, some individual who's been, was released immediately, uh, burnt, uh, the Christmas tree. And yeah. Yeah. Now, now this guy was, uh, a ho- homeless, right? Yeah. And they, they, did he suffer from mental illness? Was that part of it? Well, I think I've, I've heard that said, although he wasn't, uh, you know, admitted to a hospital, he was just released. And one of the questions I always have when someone says mental illness, well, so why is he burning a Christmas tree, or why are some of these people with mental illnesses burning a Hanukkah menorah? Why religious symbols? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, um, yeah, why, why yeah. not just a garbage yeah. can, a secular <laughs> item? Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very uh, reluctant to accept that defense until I know more. But it's wrong, and that's why I felt, uh, you know, as you, you and I spoke uh, the other night. I thought being there as, as part of the rededication, obviously the tree doesn't, you know, is not something meaningful for me, but it's meaningful for others. Mm-hmm. And therefore, someone who uh, destroys a, a precious symbol belonging to another faith is something that I have to treat seriously. And we thought it was important for uh, we of different faiths to come together, to stand together, and to say this is a moment of spiritual solidarity because that attack on you was an attack on me. Uh, so, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. As I said, you. Yeah. So, yeah, but you, you know, you have you, 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 have, you and the Cardinal were on Fox. You, you guys were on Fox, uh, weren't you? You were interviewed. Yeah, yeah, we were interviewed. And I look. I said very simply, and uh, it's it's not deep thought, but uh, Reverend, you Cardinal, uh, your Christmas, I'm Hanukkah. Your Easter, I'm Passover. Uh, but together, mm-hmm. we're all Thanksgiving. And and you know, walking down the street, we're thankful. That we live in a country yeah. where I see on one block a Hanukkah menorah, I see on the next block a Christmas tree, or t- together, you know, you could be uh, contiguous to each other. And I'm not worried about separation of church and state. 
because no one's imposing it on me. I don't have mm. to observe it, you know, um, and that's the, the greatness of America. Uh, I grew up in Massachusetts. We used to see, there were many more Christmas trees there than there were Hanukkah menorahs. You, you, you rarely saw a Hanukkah menorah, but it was fine. Nobody, nobody's trying to convert me, and I'm happy because when right. you're proud of your faith, I can be proud of mine. Exactly. And I can celebrate yours as you celebrate mine. And I don't think there was much politicizing of this incident, you know, as an attack on Fox or what Fox represents. I don't think it went in that direction. Did yeah. you notice anything? In no, that? I think this person, whatever his condition is, saw a tree that he could somehow uh, ignite. Um, and I don't know if we can ever get into his mind. But look, I've been to, I've been to synagogues where... There was a desecration. I've been to mosques, as you have. We've all been Our there. church. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we had someone come and set fire to the trees around uh, the perimeter of our church by the fences. Mm. And, the, you know, we, we, we had to, you know, set up surveillance, found out it was a woman who was suffering from mental health, and she just felt the need to set those trees on fire. This was a few years ago. It, it happens. I, I go back to Charlottesville where Jews were under attack and that, that horrible chant, Jews will not replace us. I don't know who we're replacing, by the way. I don't know what they're saying, but <laughs> the Jews will not replace us. Like, we're the big threat uh, to people. And, in, and, and the Christians came together and formed this protective ring around the synagogue. And they said, mm-hmm. you know, you got to go through us. you got to get to them. Uh, and we do that for one another. Uh, that's the greatness of this country. That's the greatness of the interfaith movement. That's why, you know, uh, those who uh, somehow were, they, they didn't want interfaith dialogue uh, to take place because they thought somehow it's going to weaken us. It didn't. It strengthened us. It strengthened right, us. Right. And thank God for those who are, you know, we stand on the shoulders of those pioneers. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And the world of symbols is a world in which we live. What, you, you tell me, Rabbi, why is the temple, the physical brick and mortar building temple, why is that important? Well, you know, when you look at the development of Jewish history, it's always been a place where we can come together as community. We can serve God. It has the sacrosanct symbols there. Uh, Holiness is found in gathering there. But I also will tell you, when the temple was destroyed, we didn't lose our identity. So it's good to have Mm -hmm. the building, but, you know, you could pray elsewhere. So we developed synagogues. We developed places where people could pray. And you know, I have seen informal prayer gatherings in people's home on a plane. Mm-hmm. I remember years mm-hmm. ago going to the Cyclones baseball game in Brooklyn and a group of Jews, we all stood together and we prayed the, uh, the afternoon, late afternoon service at, you know, at the stadium. Uh, I remember waiting in line to use the phone one day and somebody was praying in the phone booth when we had phone booths. Uh, I said, boy, you were in there for a while. He says it was an important long-distance call. And then he told me he was praying. You know, he just didn't <laughs> want to be disturbed. Uh, so the idea of praying doesn't require a building, but I think there's a certain Holy Spirit when we gather together, and especially a building that has such historic uh, significance. So the temples, you know, we still mourn the destruction of the temples, but we, have not, we don't mourn the destruction of our religion. So we have to say, I will tell you, it's a symbol of the divine presence, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. You know, it, it's a reminder. Uh, Catholics in, in Catholic tradition, uh, you know, when a Catholic passes a Catholic church, they make the sign of the yeah. cross 
with respect to the presence of that symbol in the community. Uh, I think it's a very, very yeah. powerful symbol. And even as Muslims, you know, the temple represents the presence of Islam within a community, yeah. within a city. But remember so what very, the, very important. Yeah. But remember what the Bible says: "Build me a God says, build me a sanctuary, and I will dwell in mm. your midst." Right? I will uh, dwell in your right. midst. Doesn't say so in it's a its symbol midst. of the presence of God. Right. But in the it, midst of the people. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, yes, it's 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 good to have the building, uh, but it's important to have the congregation. It's going to have people inside uh, who are praying and that inside can take place in various settings uh, so but thankfully in America you know we're not threatened by the other now we in New York I think we're, we're really spoiled uh, because we have such a diverse mix here I'm not sure it's true in every part of the country uh, but certainly right. in New York we're blessed uh, so I could be at Fox I could be at what they call Fox Square and be part of a mm -hmm. rededication of a Christmas tree and everybody's wishing me happy Hanukkah uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. nobody nobody said to me, you know, you better join us. You you have to, you know, believe in this other system. No, not at all. <laughs> On the contrary, I think we appreciate. Let me ask you about something. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you something. In your faith tradition, all right. In ours, you know, the word angel mm. means uh, for us a messenger. I think mm -hmm. Malak with you guys, uh, uh, angel for us in the New Testament, but. Um, yeah, Angels are not just divine. Angels can be human. There can be human angels, human representatives of God, of good, mm. uh, who, who, who bring something special to a situation or, or person. Uh, is that true in your tradition? Yeah, I, you know, it's an interesting dichotomy because we do talk of heavenly angels and we, we welcome the Sabbath with the ministering angels uh, accompanying God into our midst. So we do talk of, of these angelic figures on high, but they're angelic figures on earth. And, you know, there's an interesting mm -hmm. uh, tradition where we say in this world there are 36 good people who sustain the world. It doesn't say 36 Jews, 36 people who do such good things, such angelic things, that they keep this world going. And very often when someone dies, one of the great tributes you can offer is to say, he or she was one of the 36. Um, and uh, so I, I think, look, when you walk into a hospice setting, tell me you're not surrounded by angels. What people yeah. do there on a daily basis in bringing comfort, yeah. right, to those in that critical situation, uh, or go, go into any hospital. Uh, you know, go into a, a classroom where teachers are trying to make a difference, where they're committed to to educating the children with all of the challenges they have to confront. You're also acting as an angel. So we have angels in our midst uh, that sometimes I think we take for granted. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I was told. Absolutely. Yeah. I, well said. Well articulated. I think that's important because you can be an angel. You can be a messenger of hope a messenger mm -hmm. of, of good. I think about our first responders and what they suffered at 9-11. You and I were right there on the front line. Yeah. You know what that was like. And then the pandemic. And some people were working not because it was their job, but because it was their sense of calling. They're, they had a passion for what they were doing. These were angels. Yeah, yeah. And, and we lost some of them, Yeah, unfortunately. And, and I got to tell we you, I, I was uh, talking to someone before, and I said, when you look at that Hanukkah menorah, when you look at that Christmas tree and you see the lights, there are no names to them. Always is it the first light, the second light, the third light. And there are people whose names we don't know, but they bring this light and love to the world. And they are the yeah. angels 
Uh, so take a moment to say uh, thank you, express gratitude for the great things done by good people uh, mm-hmm. that we, sometimes we take for granted. And Angels right. of light. Yeah. And yeah. we need more of them. Yeah. Right? We have a person who's coming on today who does great work and uh, has many angelic qualities. I'm talking about Elder David Buckner of the yeah. Church of, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, they're headquartered in Salt Lake City. We're going to talk about what they do, who they are, and the relationships that we've been able to form with one another. So I look forward to that discussion. Yeah, so stay tuned. Stay with us right here on 77 WABC, The Rev and the The Rabbi. Rabbi. Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potashnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Oh, you say that with such finesse. Uh, (laughs) We are honored, Reverend Bernard, to have with us someone who's become a very good friend, a member of our extended family, I'm referring to Elder David Buckner of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Elder Buckner, I, I want to say something about you and the church that I've witnessed. Uh, you were kind enough to bring a number of religious leaders out to Salt Lake City, you know, to the, the headquarters, so to speak. And we went into a store that has groceries and clothing, and everybody paid by credit card. No cash was uh, handed over to uh, the people behind the registers. I learned that a number of the people shopping were indigent. They were poor. They didn't have any money to give. But yet they had that credit card. It was a credit card that looked like all the others. And it was an opportunity for people who were poor to buy without anybody knowing they were poor. And I thought to myself, to preserve the dignity of people is one of the highest ideals of religious tradition. So talked for a minute about the outreach to the vulnerable, to the poor, that your church has done so masterfully uh, over the years? Well, masterfully is generous, and I appreciate that. Uh, the reality of this is that we live in a world that is complicated. It's a tapestry of differences. And one of the things that we've learned over time is that we've got to make sure that we are representing the full tapestry, the full organic nature. And so when we look at those that are in need, need should not be defined by where people come from, by what they look like. And it shouldn't be defined by how they would pay, to your example. And so much of what the church has focused on, and, and I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm honored and grateful to be a part of an organization that focuses increasingly, I'll say increasingly, because I think we've got a long ways to, to go, but increasingly on the needs of individuals. And the example you've given is one small example, but we're focusing on, on not just geographies where there's needs, individuals where there's needs, but demographics where there's needs specific to those individuals in a way that doesn't have a bias, that doesn't have a way in which people can define, be defined by the circumstances around them, but can be, you know, meeting the individual's expectations. That That's a benefit, but I think we should all be that way. I mean, that that's... Focus on the individual. Focus on the need rather than focus on where they come from or what they look like. Elder, can I ask you, Reverend Bernard here, and just thank you publicly for our relationship. Uh, I will tell you, uh, your your organization has been so instrumental in helping us feed over 100,000 people uh, last year during COVID, uh, helping supplying not just uh, food but and provision, but people. 
And your people are amazing. Mm. In fact, I was talking to my daughter-in-law. I said, you know what? We need to get their, their training system because if we could ignite this kind of passion, you know, to serve uh, amongst our people, then we want to know how that passion is ignited. Is it part of your, your theological framework? Um, what is it that charges the young people that you send our way to partner in meeting the needs of the poor? First of all, again, you're incredibly gracious, and, and Reverend Bernard, you're a dear friend. It, it means the world to me to partner. You have a structure. You've built an incredible structure by which you can actually go to the root of the need by having that infrastructure in place. We partner with you because we can bring some of the resources, some of the manpower. You see what I'm saying? It's like it's a perfect partnership. We don't have the on-the-ground touch sometimes that you've got. So. To your point, there, there's a, uh, I don't want to call it luck because I actually think it's a divine intervention, but there's uh, a, a purpose in which the two have come together. When it comes to your question of, of how do you motivate, um, I'll, I'll be, there was a book written years ago, uh, Amy Chua wrote a book about, uh, you know, what, what components come into success, and one of the things she identified, she talked, Rabbi Potasnik, she talked about uh, our, our Jewish uh, heritage and, and those individuals and what drives them. And she also identified those from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and she used examples. And it was this idea of purpose. And, and she used it as they come with this idea of purpose, like there's a purpose, there's a divine purpose. And Reverend Bernard, you have it as well. It's the idea that we're all family, that's one. We're here to help each other, that's two. We actually believe that there's more beyond this life, which is three, so we need to help each other kind of get beyond that veil, beyond this life. So we're not just here to exist and die. We're here to help each other. Mm -hmm. So when you infuse that in young people's minds and hearts, and not just in some proselyting way, I don't mean it that way, but in the way they're supposed to live, it, it becomes so much easier to look around and say, when I'm in the store, I'm not looking for baptized members of my faith. I'm looking for members of my... These are my family. You see what I mean? So you, you see everyone as part of my family. That changes the whole way I see people in a store, at a gas station. It changes the whole dynamic of when I'm in a park. And if you can help people from a very young age recognize that, all of a sudden it reduces judgment, it increases compassion, it creates partnership like we've been able to experience. And honestly, it binds us. It brings us together. And can you imagine if the world actually felt that? I mean, I joke with Rabbi Potassian, I tell you, you're my, 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 you're my rabbi. But we are. Mm. We're united, even though we have different ships we sometimes sit in. We have that same storm that we're navigating. You know, it's so interesting. That, that's the way I see it. Yeah. What you're saying mm -hmm. also is this expression live and let live, it's live and help live. Uh, yeah. Go beyond the let live. But something I, I recognize, and Reverend Bernard and I've, and I've had several discussions, we would go to interfaith gatherings. We'd sit with our partners, and then we thought there are others who are not sitting at the table. And frankly, at the beginning, uh, your church, others. <laughs> you are others. And, and, I, and I said to the Reverend, uh, then I said to you upon meeting you, we you got to be sitting at the table with us. Uh, mm -hmm. And we yeah. were, you know, uh, we didn't have to fight it. We we said it's an automatic 
uh, kind of transition. And you graciously, of course, accepted the invitation. And I have to say, you're at the table now, and you're sitting with us and also finding others who are going to be inside rather than outside. And that's something, you know, when you see people as your family, extended family, um, that's what you have to do. You can't allow people to be fine as us and others. We're all us. You, you both have been incredibly generous. I don't mean just the two of you. You think about those that, that a table that we sit at, and I don't mean just the physical table, but I, I have never met better bridge builders. Even in your conversations on these radio conversations, it's a powerful bridge-building experience. My wife goes to the dentist. The dentist says, hey, I, live into the, I listen to the Rev and the Rabbi, and I heard your, your husband on the Rev and the Rabbi. <laughs> I mean, you build those bridges with dentists. You see, and you think about that table, that table is expansive because of the bridges that you reach out and build. It's powerful. It's yeah. a powerful and needed now more than ever in, in our time here on, uh, in, in New York and, and in this area. And the dentist gives you the and, and the rabbi, bridges. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. rabbi, and elder, you know, um, I think that we, within our faith traditions, those traditions continue to evolve over time and mature in terms of how we apply our faith. Uh, I would say that from the early history of uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, I'm very much aware of that early history and its growth and progression. Our, our Christian faith, you know, over the last 2,000 years, and, and even with the Protestant Reformation, and even in the faith in Judaism, how uh, it took a dramatic turn with the destruction of the temple and, and, and having to change the, the whole system. I think we grow and mature in our faith in terms mm-hmm. of how we apply it, especially as it relates to society at large. Uh, would you agree? I, I would say that not only does it refine, but and, and we have a specific doctrinal component of our faith that you've identified there by its growth and maturing. I, we call it revelation, and, and I'm, I don't mean that to be overstated. I, what I mean by is the ongoing component of new things being revealed. Now, we have a structure that is a, one that we refine as, a, or that we define as prophetic, okay? So, but we look to ongoing direction, inspiration, guidance, you know, thoughtfulness, whatever we may want to call it. And I agree with you that with that comes we restore greater knowledge. We refine and understand through revealed truths. And that addresses issues of the day, of today. So I agree with you. I, I think as we continue through these challenging times, and they're getting, they're getting harder we so, need greater light and knowledge. So George Bernard Shaw said years ago, the smartest person he ever met was his tailor. Because every time he would go to the tailor, he would measure him to see what changes have taken place since the last time you were measured. And that applies to our religion. We come for the holy days, for example, in Jewish uh, faith. And we talk about how have we changed since last, last time? You know, what, what modifications have we made? I remember, Elder Buckner... Uh, a very difficult conversation that some of us had with members of, of the church about, uh, you know, uh, posthumous baptisms. And it was part of the, you know, the church tradition to, to, you can elaborate on it, but Jews said, wait a minute, um, 
we we don't want it, <laughs> not for us. You know, you can do it for, but don't do it for us. And uh, you know, we sensitized each other to our uh, respective beliefs, and we arrived at a constructive resolution by listening and learning. And I remember the church said, "Okay, if this is something that you find in any way offensive, in any way wrong, we're going to stop it." And I said, "Wow, what a major moment!" Certainly at a time where we don't listen to each other. But here we did, and we walked away, you know, arm in arm, saying we truly have respect for one another when we're ready to make changes in in a tradition because it somehow impacts negatively on someone else's belief system. It it was a powerful time of unity, Rabbi, where we came to understand something that was so doctrinally fundamental that we perceive and perceived as a gift was received as as a as a variation and almost an encroachment if you will mm. on on a faith and belief uh, from from your viewpoint and we we realized as we talked oh wait that that would never be the intent and those mm. conversations bloomed into an understanding of of what was perceived as on one side uh, an ongoing gift and another side an encroachment and that that conversation led to exactly what you said a better understanding of what we both meant in our hearts and it led to to not it wasn't just like an agreement it was an understanding mm-hmm. it was a partnership and you're absolutely right it 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 is those types of open conversations that have got to continue that don't create others as you've identified, but create a unity of understanding. And then we get it. We start to understand what it is that we're all about and why we're, why we're actually more alike than we are different. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. You know, I think that's so important because as everything is politicized in our world right now, especially in our nation, which leads to polarization, I think those of us who represent the divine, the the higher life, you know, morality, I think we should be coming together and partnering uh, and understanding what, that we bring a moral value consensus, uh, no matter what our faith, we bring a moral value consensus society, which is foundational to, to concord and to justice, without which uh, we'd have chaos. Our moral fiber is uh, being tested, and our faith-based um, community has got to come together, not to define it as one definitive and one only definitive way of thinking, but as uh, the fabric. We've got we've got to do it. I, I every time I talk to anybody who comes from a faith-based community, I just I cling to them, regardless of of uh, some of the tenets, because we recognize that it starts the foundation of which we can have the conversation. The secularization of the world loses purpose. It loses uh, a sense of drive. It loses a sense of unity. It loses a sense of, as you noted, justice, of fairness, of care, of compassion. So it's hard. And I agree with you. We've got to be more united. Talk to us about an issue that Reverend Bernard and so many of us discuss. It's a priority issue, and that is the increasing numbers of unaffiliated. When I was out in Salt Lake City, when I meet members of your church, 
I always see a number of young people, families, uh, connected to the church. Are you also looking at unaffiliation as we are? Well, to be to be fair, not probably not in the same way. Um, you, you know, we have a vibrant kind of missionary service, and so we're seeing significant growth in church membership in places around the world where it's somewhat new. But set aside that for a moment. Let's it, when you think about affiliation, we are seeing an increasingly more secularized world. But l- what I've learned is interesting. I, I teach uh, at, at a university. I teach at Columbia here. And I teach pure secularized economics, okay? (laughs) And and I'll ask my students questions. For example, I'll ask, do you have a favorable or unfavorable view of, and I'll give them words. And it's a a full spectrum. I'll say church, and they'll say generally unfavorable. But I'll say gathering, and they'll say, oh, favorable. I'll say faith, and they'll say, oh, unfavorable. And I'll say purpose, and they say favorable. If I say prayer, they'll say unfavorable, but I say meditation, and they say, oh, favorable. Mm. You see, sometimes mm. the wow. words have been so over-politicized or so um, set out there as negative connotations of structure that it's actually, mm. they do mm. have a favorable sense. But when you talk about people leaving faith, I actually believe more people have faith, more people have purpose, more people want to have impact, more people care and have compassion, that's religion. But they don't like the idea of religion as it's been defined by the secular world. So sometimes we need to change our language and invite people mm. in to gather rather than say, do you go to church? Right. You know, yeah, And that's yeah, where yeah. I think we're, we're, we'll see more success with the youth and younger people, because we, we do see it in our youth. They love to gather, so they do come to church. And I have to agree with your, your, your assessment, because we hear about these, this new category called nuns, and suppo- supposedly they're unaffiliated. Uh, but it, it was the same thing back in the 60s. I'm dating myself. Of course, I was a young 60s uh, person, not like rabbi. Uh, I'm a 70s. Then, I'm we more 70s. Anti- yeah. <laughs> we were anti-establishment, you know. Uh, we, we, we were against organized religion and... And, you know, that's the same thing that's happening today. So I get it. But at the end of the day, as, as you alluded to, we are designed for meaning, for purpose. We are social beings by design. So gathering is part of what we do. And, you know, it's a matter of changing the name. So, so meditation versus prayer. You know, I think that's very, yeah. very insightful on your part. But, but Reverend and, and uh, Elder Buckner, you touched on something that... that I find very troubling. We should not be allowing secularists to define our faith. You know, sometimes I look at some of the columns written in papers, and I look at some of the interviews on TV, and I said, what are the credentials of this person, you know, uh, expressing all of these, you know, thoughts about a tradition that he or she knows very little about? Not an expert. You know, when it comes to other areas, other disciplines, we bring on experts. When it comes to issues related to religion, all of a sudden some secular individual, someone with minimal association with a church or synagogue or other house of worship is is <laughs> is pontificating. We shouldn't allow that. We, we, can't, we can't sit back and be quiet and have someone else, you know, tell people who we are. 
I agree. The challenge we face is the one-way conversation. It's published. It's stated. It's tweeted. It's You have a one-way conversation, and you don't have the opportunity to redefine before you've been defined. So I often mm-hmm. will start, and I'll say, at my core, or in my heart, or at my center, I'm a person of purpose. Now, my definition is... At my core, I'm a person of faith, you know, but you have to almost define it for people when you have the opportunity and then allow them to start recognizing when I say purpose, I mean faith. When I say at my core, I talk about my spirit, you know, but they've, they've, you're right. They want the unilateral definitions where you can't, there's no response. It gets tweeted. It gets, the social media will state it. I'm not religious. Well, what do you define as religion? Is it where you sit on Sunday or Saturday? No, religion is do I have core? Do I have a center? Do I have compassion? Do I care for people? Do I exercise that in my actions? Do I behave with, you know, mm. that's, that becomes my religion. And when you start to define it that way, people go, well, that's me too. <laughs> I go, well, you're deeply religious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excellent. Can Brilliant. You- Talk, talk about talk about religion. People see members of the church, and I think they know very little about the faith. Uh, you know, one of the things, you're not going to know about the Mormons if you only go to see the Book of Mormon. And I thought your response to the, to the program, you know, now that you've seen the show or the play, read the book. But talk about that. Give us a kind of a, you know, a condensed version so people understand what your belief system is. Well, the core system is a restoration of Christ's church on, on the earth. So we do have two doctrinal com- components in terms of Scripture. We, we have a core belief in the Bible and the Old and New Testament, and we have the Book of Mormon. And the Book of Mormon is Christ's visit to America here at the time that he was resurrected and came to visit those that were here. My point in sharing that is that the two are partnered and so we have this doctrinal belief that through this, we, his church was restored. We call it the restored church. So that doctrinal component is why we use the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as the title. Now, Mormon's not offensive. I want to be clear on that. I don't want anybody to feel, you know, that because it, it does derive from the Book of Mormon. It was once, years ago, we, you know, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, right? Mm-hmm, right. I mean, you, it, we were always called that. And it's been recent that uh, President Nelson, our, our uh, prophet and president of the church, said we should address the church with respect as the title of the church. So that gives you the sense of its core and its purpose. At its very core, we have a structure, and you know this because, and, and, and Reverend Bernard, I'm working to get you there, but Salt Lake becomes the center where the leadership sits. So my role and responsibility here in New York, I report to an area presidency who reports to the 12 apostles, who report to the first presidency. So we have a very kind of um, hierarchic alignment back to the senior presidency. So that kind of gives you structure. That's why when Reverend Bernard, when you say there's needs, I can find ways through a, a centralized authority to see how do we best meet needs? How do we aggregate? When we had the hurricane here, we were able to mobilize, you know, thousands of people fairly quickly to help with the hurricane. It's a different skill set, but we were able to do that. So that gives you a sense both of the doctrinal restoration component, 
the the centralization of organization and it gives you a little bit of the the understanding as we talked about before that we believe in ongoing revelation you know that that this comes through prophets just like it did in in times of old that kind of gives you a sense of it not everybody would know that from the book of mormon musical which by the way i haven't seen but i've, I've heard many have. see fiddler on the roof you'll enjoy that one <laughs> but, but 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 we share that uh, sense of responsibility for the common good. I mean, I learned the words many years ago, tikkun olam, from my dear rabbi friend. And, uh, you know, we apply it by looking back at the words of the prophet Jeremiah when Israel was in captivity. You know, pray for the, for the, for the uh, city that, that you're in, for, for peace, that you may dwell in, it, in, in, in peace. And uh, Rabbi, you know, shared that with me, and I've made that a part of my understanding, our responsibility to, to repair the world, to yeah. make a difference. You know, I, when people criticize organized religion, you know, I try to ask them, so tell me what you did, for example, the uh, Afghan refugees. How many coats did you deliver to the people who are cold out there? How many meals did you serve to those who are hurting? You know, all the critics who point this finger at us, uh, I, I feel they're they're very often hypocritical because you know they're they're just placing everything on us and nothing on themselves. So, and we're doing it. We're doing much. Could we do better? Of course. Uh, you know, uh, all of us could do better. But some people are doing nothing except criticism. And uh, that doesn't help the cause. So, you know, somebody said, if this is the world today with religion, can you imagine what we would look like if we didn't have religion? So thank God we're doing you what know, we are doing. You know, Rabbi, there are people, and I've met with them. They think that it is their job. It's their calling it's their divine summons to criticize. <laughs> they consider themselves prophetic critics. Uh, does that happen in, in, in your circles, uh, Elder? Well, we, we, we are with you in that circle where many people criticize. <laughs> no, we Jews, we don't, have criti- we don't have any critics. We're just, we are so monolithic, we just agree on everything. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, though, we, we have found the same thing you have. I find it great solace every time we sit down at the Commission of Religious Leaders that we start with that prayer that the that the Cardinal Dolan provides for our city. So I agree, Reverend Bernard, that where you are, you lift where you stand. And you lift as much as you can where you stand. And we can always look over our shoulders. We often talk about, if I could just help the people in Africa, well, I need to help the people in New York City. And, mm. and by virtue mm. of that, I lift where I stand the best way I can. The best way I do that is I've got to partner with people like you. I can't be where you are, but I can support, sustain, somehow partner with. That's what the, the religious community can do, is unite to support where they are and unite in partnership. And that's where the critics, I think, lose their power and their impact is when they see a, a united front, arm in arm, side by side, lifting where we stand to the best way we can. Mm. So- and, and unite does not mean one world religion. It does not mean losing our faith and, and uh, the distinction that our faith brings to the world of religion. I think that's very important because people may think that in order to partner, you have to lose who you are and lose yeah. your faith identity. Yeah. And that's not true. No, so, not at all. In fact, I, 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 Reverend, Reverend Bernard, you know this. If I had questions, I'd sit down with you and we'd shut the door and say, teach me. 
tell me what you see yeah. in this, and, yeah. and likewise, you could ask yeah. me the same. And, and I always go to my rabbi. <laughs> I say, you got to tell me this. And he'll say, I don't know, you got to ask one of my friends. You know? but, but, but we do. That's where you can take and build that tapestry, yeah. that rich understanding I, with respect. You know, we, yeah. we talk, Reverend Bernard and I, wouldn't it be great if like one day a month or whatever schedule permitted, all of us of all the different faiths sat down and said, we're going to study text today. This is the we're going to look at this portion of the Bible from all different perspectives, different spiritual lenses. Do it for let's say one hour, once a month, and have this national day of learning. What a moment that would be showing that we can learn from one another. I, I welcome those moments when you come to me. Tell me what Jewish tradition says about this. I said, my God, you have somebody who's not Jewish who wants to know, and I have a chance to transmit my understanding and then ask you what your faith you know, says about it so I can learn more. That's powerful. And I, I, think, I think that's what God, I think God wants us to, you know, to sit at that symbolic spiritual table because we all have the same spiritual birth certificate. We're all children of God. Uh, I, I think... That that's the thing we need to introduce in this world. Rabbi, that's an attitude. That's an intellectual and emotional disposition. I tell my people, no matter where I go, I say, look, I'm sometimes a teacher, but always a student. Mm-hmm. And if we think that way, we'll be willing to learn, to be open, to hear, and to try and understand. All right. Elder Buckner, as always, uh, we enjoy being with you, whether it's on the air whether it's at the Cardinal's residence, whether it's on the street. We were together. Uh, Reverend Bernard, they have these giving machines. I think it's on 49th Street across from the skating rink where people are asked to give to various causes. And we, the Board of Rabbis, New York Board of Rabbis, have joined with uh, the church. Or, uh, we're mentioned there, and people can, can respond uh, to different causes that we offer and that others offer. But that's a, that's a partnership. Uh, and that we've developed that. That didn't happen overnight, but thankfully... Uh, we are together, understanding each other, respecting each other, and loving each other. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. very proud of the relationship that all of us have. So, Well, that, that's a great example, actually. Reverend Bernard, that's a great example. These, these giving machines started around the concept of Christmas. And yet, mm. we've, ch- we've shifted, more importantly, to light the world. And if you think about Hanukkah mm. and light... Mm. The Board of Rabbis fits perfectly in lighting the world. And so you've, you've, you've got amazing opportunities there for people to be able to, to buy Bibles and to, to be able to provide meals for a family, etc., for Board of Rabbis uh, by putting in a, a card and, and being able to supply that. So it's, yeah. uh, it's remarkable how you identified coming together regardless of background. Yeah. Reverend, that's one yeah, example yeah. of how it's worked. Reverend, give me your well, American I'm Express forward. card number. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> right. I, I'm looking forward to my trip to Utah and deepening our partnership, uh, Elder Buckner, because there's so many things that we can learn from each other. So thank you for what you yeah. do, and, of course, thank you for being on our program yeah. today. So what we learn from all of this is we go to synagogue, we go to church, Go to services there. But when we leave, we also have services and serving one another. Thanks so much. Look forward Amen. to seeing Good you to soon. Good to talk to you. Thanks again. Amen. Bye-bye. Elder and David. stay Parker. tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. We'll be back with more of The Rev and the, the Rabbi. Rabbi.
Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Outstanding interview, Rabbi, don't you think? Yeah, you know, I'm thinking to myself as I listen to both of you, that we often say, it's not my statement, but we've often said that Judaism, for example, is a deed, not just a creed. We have our system of beliefs, but more importantly, Mm -hmm. uh, we have what's called mitzvot. And mitzvot refer to what we do, not just what we say. Because you measure belief by behavior. You know, the people say all Mm -hmm. kinds of great things, but it doesn't translate uh, into real-life behavior. Uh, So I I can say I love, you know, I love peace, but what are you doing to promote it? You know, uh, right. I love my next door neighbor, but when's the last time you visited? So you, that's very good, Rabbi. Hey, you, this has been good preaching. I, I tell you, you, get three reverends or rabbis together, <laughs> and you get all these sermons that ooze out of the conversation. Yeah, you know what but I mean? but, is but it, yeah, I, I think what struck me the most is sorry for cutting you off, but I think what struck me the most is the fact that we can partner without fear of losing our individual faith identity. Because there are people that, that think that, hey, if I, if I work with this faith mm-hmm. or that faith, all of a sudden, you know, I'm no longer who I am and what I believe. And that's far from the truth. There's always common ground, especially when it comes to our response to humanity, our responsibility to the common good. Would you say? Years ago, I recall meeting the great rabbi Mark Tannenbaum, who was a major figure in the interfaith arena. And I remember his telling me how much criticism he received by a number of people of different faiths, saying, you know, by doing what you're doing, you're diluting. You're diluting your faith. You're probably diluting others so you can get along well. And he said, no, that's not so. I am not compromising my integrity, my identity. I'm communicating what I believe, and hopefully there's someone else communicating what he or she believes, and we'll find some common ground. And, you know, I, I said recently, what's interesting about Hanukkah, for example, is you look at a candle. So you can take one candle, as we do, and light the other candles. It doesn't diminish the value of that one candle. It doesn't take anything away from the strength of that one candle. And that's how it is. You can come, promote yourself, you know, uh, proclaim who you are, but don't in any way prevent somebody else from uh, speaking his or her uh, religion. And together we're strengthened because we do have much in common. But uh, you, you know, you make threatened. me think of yeah. I, but you make me reflect reflect on love your neighbor as yourself. Intrinsic in loving neighbor is loving the other, because your neighbor may not be the person next door. Right. It may be someone you know a, a, across the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we understand that humanity is all joined together in one human experience. So I think as we think about love your neighbor, we've got to expand that beyond the guy who lives in my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, especially in this global community in which we live. And also love your neighbor as yourself, meaning your neighbor is like yourself. He or she has Mm. flaws. He or she has strengths, you know, but, you know, you hopefully you love yourself, you know, in a reasonable way, not overdone. Uh, But, you know, in that way, look at your neighbor the same way that he or she is very much like you. Uh, we don't have enough of that. And of course, in today's world, my God, if if you don't think like the other person, you're no longer considered a friend or a neighbor. Uh, 
You know, it's like love your neighbor only if your neighbor is like you. <laughs> uh, that's the, the new interpretation <laughs> of love your neighbor. That's a new one. I like that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good sermon right there, Rabbi. Yeah. You're racking them up today, yeah. I tell you. And getting no credit for it, that's for sure. <laughs> no, but I think it's just, uh, it's unfortunate that we live in this world that you and I speak about this all the time, this dichotomized world. You know, I'm right, mm-hmm. you're wrong. I'm a, I'm a genius, you're an idiot. Uh, it, it's so... You know, when I hear someone, for example, comparing Fauci to Mengele as, yeah. a, you know, as oh, a child boy. of survivors and as a human yeah. being, how dare you? What stupidity, yeah. but what, what complete disrespect for those who died in the Holocaust. Fauci and Mengele in the same sentence? Give me a break. You know, maybe it's we need... It's unfortunate. You know, we need mandatory Holocaust education for adults, mm-hmm. not just for children. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a so-called journalist who said this. And you have other, you have the I see the yellow star with the vaccine on it. You know, come on, this is we're trying to save life. So you know, but people with their with, with their agenda, their political agenda, have transformed the whole discussion. And you cannot have a serious, sincere conversation with people who are so prejudiced and who know so little about science. You know, I I love all of a sudden everybody became an overnight epidemiologist. You know. Uh, in, internet degrees all over the place. Uh, yeah, they know how to Google it, right? Yeah, they, they can't even spell epidemiologist. Then now they're talking about the science. Uh, it's it's well, I will tell you, I'm on the record. I believe in doctors and I believe in miracles. I believe that they're both gifts from God. Yeah, exactly. And 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 doctors are doing God's work on Earth. And that's why we have a prayer for physicians in Jewish tradition. And Maimonides, who was a great, great theologian, was also a doctor. Yeah. You know, you can be both. Mm -hmm. You can be both. All right. Yeah. Good, good discussion. Well, it's uh, Christmas uh, and Hanukkah season and, um, you know, exciting times, especially in the city. And thank you for joining us here uh, as part of your weekend with the dynamic duo, the Rev and the Rabbi, yeah, right here on 77 WABC. Yeah, and Rev, don't forget, Christmas, I give you one gift. Hanukkah, you give me eight gifts, because there are eight days of Hanukkah. So it's fair. Eight to one, I'll take any time. I'm going to do the math off the year <laughs> and see if I come up with your results. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Look forward to being with you next week. Till next time. God bless. God bless.